The Football Show on Off The Ball with Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. I'm prepared to end it I can. Well, do it then. Again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? Why <laughs> well, should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. oh, now then, Football Show. Here we are. Gavin Cooney, the 42, is with us. You're very welcome. Hey, Joe. How are you? Do you want to have it with stat here, Gav? Yeah, go on. I'm going to blow your mind. Yeah, I think I know I know what you're going to say, but Were you go listening on. earlier? No, no. Okay, okay. go. Erling Haaland. Yeah. Scored tonight. Yeah. Twice, indeed. Is the third player to score in each of his first three Champions League appearances for an English club. The others being Marouane Schmack for Arsenal and Ferran Torres for... Man City. <laughs> that I mean, that was a great chat up until yeah. you said Marouane Schumacher and Ferran Torres. I think you, Tru- I truly think the you, worst tweet I think I've seen <laughs> in a long time. Uh, I saw uh, props to Duncan Alexander of Opta for this, uh, but I thought, like, the stat I thought you were going to throw at me was that Erling Haaland has now scored one percent of all of Man City's Premier League and Champions League goals. No, one percent in much better. This was just proof that anything can be just thrown up there. He's not even the first <laughs> Man City player to do it. <laughs> I think has he gone off at half time I think uh, which it makes Man City 3 Copenhagen nil, oh, about off, 200% yeah. less interesting I think isn't it interesting like so I mean on uh, this time last season same fixture list, list with the one television screen in front of me we would generally have gone for maybe Stanford Bridge yeah. as the glamour tie of Chelsea against Milan but this evening we were very much on Haaland watch yeah I still probably would go to Chelsea Milan but I don't uh, I have no problem with Man City being on here because he just makes them so much more interesting you know and I uh is Pep Guardiola a bit jealous? Probably not. Yeah. I think I might be stretching a little bit too much when I say that. He did um, turn back to the bench when Haaland scored his first on eight minutes, which was just a simple Cancelo ball low into the box and invariably Haaland's there and scores and it looks way too easy. And Pep turned to the bench and sort of grinned and gave like kind of a... like. You know, like a Diana princess, like he lowered his eye, lowered his chin and looked up from the eyes almost and he was like half shaking his head at whoever was on the bench as if to say, this is actually nuts. <laughs> I know. So, like, I mean, they now look completely unstoppable. So yeah. I ask you, like, how is Guardiola going to mess this one up? Yeah. Can he? Or well, maybe this is just, maybe this is, maybe Haaland has made this team even Guardiola proof. Uh, somebody was on with us this week. I can't quite think who. Might have Pat Nevin suggested, like, what if, you know, against PSG Guardiola thinks to himself you know locks himself in a hotel room for 48 hours and thinks we need to really control possession here and Haaland not contributing I should leave him out so they really monopolise possession but I I think even then there'd be an intervention by Guardiola's staff I think so it seems now that Guardiola is putting this guy up in messy territory I mean Messi always had a free reign I can't remember well I say free reign he gave him different roles but he was was never going to drop him for a big game and I think he's kind of beginning to see Haaland in the same light I think did he say something this week like he doesn't compare to anyone even Messi at his, at his age Messi took a little bit longer to start finding um, hitting the net on a regular basis whereas Haaland is just you know uh, made made by some lathe in Norway and created to score goals uh, Speaking of Messi you were talking about Messi outside weren't you? Was I? Well I think you were because I walked by you and Arthur O'Dea at one stage Yeah and you were deep into this conversation, which just based on one snippet, I guessed was about Messi's standing in the game as like oh, all time yeah. greatest player. And you were in the process of saying, yeah, but if Higuain had taken that chance in the World Cup final, yeah. and then I was gone around the corner. Yeah. I was like, they're going deep on this one. Yeah, no, I mean, I, my my point was you can't, uh, you can't be, um, 
you can't make international success like a necessary validation of a great career mm. just because they, um, great players have less control over obviously they can only play for their, their own country yeah. or in you know in a couple of instances maybe Ireland and England but uh, um, but like you can say that Messi and I think generally I think we've moved on maybe Arthur here is maybe stuck in the past a little bit when he's making these arguments but I think we've moved on from saying you know Messi all he needs to do to eclipse Maradona as the best player ever is to win the World Cup which look I'd love if Argentina won this World Cup I'd love it. I'd love to see Messi win it. Um, you know, it's a real romantic story. Go to the land of his paymashes in Qatar and win the World Cup. You know, it's real. <laughs> it's great for holiday. It's <laughs> it's real. It's real sentimental stuff. But yeah, I don't. think I think that he is, regardless of what you say. Like I think he is. He is the best ever. Well, regardless, it just struck me as as very sweet to see you two great football men catching up and having this debate we, on a, it, on a it Wednesday be, evening it began, it began in some bizarre argument about uh, is Cafu better than Alexander Arnold or oh, I yeah, think well. I think that uh, I think Arthur's point was just like God Arthur, Alexander Arnold could end up being a, as good as Cafu here you know so said like, Gary Neville just the other evening uh, speaking of then Liverpool 2 Rangers nil last night so Mo Salah scored a penalty but more pertinently Alexander Arnold scored that free kick I mean, it's, it's quite striking I glanced at all the back pages this morning and the Telegraph, The Sun, all went with a big picture of Alexander Arnold and Are You Watching Gareth? The Times had This Is What You're Missing England. So um, Alexander Arnold's uh, place in the game, it's been scrutinised a lot of late. Gary Neville was brilliant yeah. on Monday night. And Gary Neville was so much better. Like that framing of it, like, are you watching Gareth? That's stupid luck. I mean... It's not really Gary Neville's... Po- Everyone knows he can do the free kick thing. I know. Like Southgate isn't not picking him because he scores free kicks. <laughs> I mean, James Madison is also being left out and he scores free kicks as well. Yeah. But it's because his... Uh, He's just not a great defender. And I know Klopp says that, you know, it's we don't have an Alexander-Arnold problem. It's the system. It's how we ask him. We push him on. And that's definitely part of it. But he's not as good defensively as Rhys James or Kyle Walker or Kieran Trippier or this embarrassment of riches that England have it right back. And, you know, Klopp picked a different formation on Tuesday night. Um, so Jordan Henderson could sit BT I know we'll get to Gary Neville in a minute but BT and Rio Ferdinand did a good bit in the highlights programme where they just showed Jordan Henderson would sit in midfield and whenever uh, Alexander Arnold went for it he just shuffled across and covered that space and as soon as Henderson went off uh, in the second half all of a sudden Rangers started getting into that side you know they had that one chance where Shimikas managed to clear off the line and not score an OG and that was down that side after Henderson went off so yeah go on What was the Liverpool formation? It looked a kind of a four-two-three-one, yeah, okay, maybe perfect. you know, with uh, um, with Darwin Nunes leading the line, uh, Jota behind him, <coughs> sorry, and Salah to the right, and uh, who am I missing? Diaz to the left. Yeah, although, because okay. I saw it described as a four-four-two, which didn't seem right, but it didn't quite seem right. Although uh, maybe out of possession, Salah seemed to spend a lot of the game in midfield. Like he seems to have been repurposed as the chief creator if they're going to be a little bit more uh, conservative in their outlook so I hope that Salah's new contract doesn't have isn't too incentivized toward goal bonuses because he seems to be uh, mm. spending a lot more of the game deep in, deep in the middle third Quite an interesting week for Alexander-Arnold Trent anyway. Yeah So Klopp made I thought initially when you listen to it like, incredibly convincing defence of Trent and his starting position is high and we ask him to do different things and of course he's caught out with the ball into the area and, and people say well why isn't he there it's because I'm not asking him to be there and you thought well that all you know really does ring true to be fair and he did to be fair to Klopp acknowledge yes there has have been some mistakes as well but it was a good defence of mm. Trent Alexander-Arnold and then on Monday night Gary Neville 
uh, like who is just so brilliant in these instances, like really is the pundit of his generation and maybe several others as well. And he had said on his podcast on the Sunday, he was going to do mm. a trip. Oh, I've been meaning to do this for a long time. It's been, you know, it's been a long time coming. I always wanted to get this off my chest. So I, I think I knew it was coming and it's about eight minutes. You'll find it online. And in effect, it gets so good because initially he's effusive about Alexander Arnold's abilities and he says, like, by comparison, I was so basic and this guy could be Cafu. This is what we got here. Mm. He's amazing. However, and then he went on this deeply cutting forensic deconstruction of Alexander Arnold's awareness, his body position, uh, both when the ball's on the other side of the pitch and when he's got an opponent running at him. I mean, he's just, he just he stands too tall, for instance. He's never crouched down like a tiger and Neville gets out of his seat and demonstrates the body shape and it is I mean some of the most basic stuff I don't think any Leinster senior league let alone League of Ireland player would look at it as a right back and say geez whoa, that's blowing my mind it's all fairly instinctive stuff for a good defender and it was so constructive yeah. as well that yeah. like Neville put up a four point <laughs> like it was typed up and ready to go presentation of if Trent can just improve these four things over the next couple of months Basically, he's going to be maybe the greatest right back this country has ever produced. And maybe even missing the World Cup will give him time to do that. And it could be the greatest thing that happens in his career. Thank you very much. Yeah. It was just phenomenal. Uh, it was brilliant. Constructive is a really good word to use. Mm, I mean, it fair. did. He did the slight Dunphy thing of, look, I was never this good, you know, so it was never kind of a talking down thing. But it did seem to come from a genuinely good place. Um, and like a lot of football punditry is kind of ruined by the fact that the pundits know that the players are watching. A lot of the Ronaldo, like my opinion is, a lot of the Ronaldo comment is ruined by the fact that they know Ronaldo's watching. <laughs> I mean, isn't there a story of him texting Owen Hargreaves or something after some uh, se- session um, praising Messi? But they're watching it and they're like, okay, our, our opinion is valid and we're going to... Um, express it but we don't want to be unfair to you like we're not going to be we're not going to go studs in just for the sake of it we're not going to Conte on Dart at you for, for yes, uh, yeah. on a topic that we'll we'll probably get to later on and it's just really good you know it was just like okay that's what's wrong you know you look Alexander-Arnold and like me with my average eyes be like something doesn't look right there but I can't really figure out what it is and then you realise that that's it and Neville and Carragher are in I'm sure you're the same like there are a few writers and pundits you will tune in to see what's their take on that yes. what's their opinion on that and then there are fewer still who will tune in and say what can I learn from that and Neville and Carragher tick both those boxes yeah. and they're uh, they're vanishingly rare on TV I'll really tell you. or anywhere they're well, brilliant I'll often send a text home on a Monday saying I forgot to set the recorder can you record the match on Sky Sports at 7 o'clock Feel free to hit stop yeah. if you want to save storage space at around eight. Yeah. I just need the first hour. Oh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> the, the match usually gets in the way. Yeah. They've had a few classic matches on a Monday night. Um, usually Crystal Palace. I think they always seem to be showing Palace on a Monday. Why are there such rubbish matches on Monday nights? I, yeah, sometimes, I guess, it's because the good teams are in Europe on a Tuesday and Wednesday. So they have to do, you know, lower-ranked Premier League games on a Monday, which is understandable. But honestly, I wish they'd do it every Monday. Like, who cares if there's a live match? Just well, do two hours. Mick just shouted in from the producer's box to counter me that Villa Forest is on next Monday. <laughs> Sorry. No. There, there are some good, there are I some gems in there. I can't imagine anyone who would enjoy watching that game less than Mick, I have to do, say. Do you know the way they do... Um, I love the democracy of it as well. Like Carrier and Neville in the day will sometimes say, do you want us to talk about Man United? Vote for that. Or yeah. uh, Trent. 
they should have an option, a third option. Will we show the match? Yeah. <laughs> or will we do another hour? Because they do occasionally tease like what's coming up and then you realise when they do some really interesting segment and they run over time, you realise they didn't get to that. Yeah. Like at least, you know, hang around in studio for 15 minutes, lads, and put it up on Twitter, you know? So it's uh, it's really good. Like, I mean, they like I've heard Carragher talk about it in the past. Like It is a labour of love. Like it's something they take a lot of pride in. They see it as like, this is the flagship show. Now, how anything that was originally helmed by Keys and Grey has retained a status as a flagship show mm. kind of amazes me. But nonetheless, it has and it does. Um, and it's really good. And it's, like, why, the, another reason it's so good, I think, is because it has a desk. Like my, my, my take on football punditry is that if shows have a desk, I've always, I always feel that they've been better. I just feel like the pundits are a little bit... Look, you're far more um, in a better position to give your opinions on this. Yeah. But like, I just feel like pundits are a little bit more no, comfortable in, uh, I, in expressing themselves. I, I, They're just more comfortable in their to own bodies. paymasters here, but I, I, I do miss the desk. Mm. See, it went as a result of COVID. Really? Well, because we all had to sit so much further away from yeah, each other. Okay. There was no desk on earth big enough to, <laughs> to go all the way <laughs> around. And you get Putin's massive desk. As exactly. Well. So it hasn't quite made a comeback, but there is a certain, um, like a psychological security in having just a desk. I think so. Somewhere to put your hands, block off the whole crotch area, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just a better, better vibe. There are obviously other reasons behind Monday Night Football's uh, great successes, but... Starting point. It, it begins with the desk. No, totally. It did, I mean, when Neville did that compilation, because in my mind's eye, so for instance, where he talks about Alexander Arnold, who just kind of uh, runs out standing far too tall, for instance, against mm. an opponent, there are definitely times, and you can imagine it, in, if you think your, your memory bank where Alexander Arnold to be fair is crouched and is in a standing more aggressive position but Neville to be fair illustrated times where he wasn't but a lot of it really was um, surprisingly basic yeah and you would think as he said whatever about his age 250 games into this career it's kind of surprising that some of this stuff is persisting and maybe it's because Liverpool have been so dominant that he hasn't had to hone mm. his craft in the same way in so many games. Possibly. He did come through as a midfielder, I think. I think he was a midfielder in these yeah. teams, which is maybe feeds into it. Now, I was praising Neville for not, you know, saying it's not coming from an unfair place or a place of bad faith and it being constructive. He was a little bit easy on him a couple of times. Like that clip, that clip gets uglier every time you see it from the Manchester United game. The first goal. Obviously, all the focus afterwards was on James Milner and Virgil van Dijk's tete a tete. It's just so lazy. There it's is a, so lazy. There is a like lethargy. Just, the Napoli one kills me as well. Shocker. Like, just, you know? he's, he's like, I'm out of the game here. And I think maybe part of it comes from the fact that he knows he'll be in the team regardless. Like they've got no other right backs. Joe Gomez plays here sometimes. He's not they've panicked got, or alive yeah. or like, oh my God, no, they're going to score. I need to do everything I can yeah. to stop them. It's, um, it's odd. Yeah. And look, other players have been, you know, um, I can't, maybe Berbatov isn't a good example, but players who've like quite... Um, Casual body language, like they they're actually probably working a lot harder than their body language would uh, would betray. Yeah. But like, I mean, there were times in that p- compilation where you're like, I like all these basic things are really interesting, but also like if he just just tried harder, you know. And I think that's the like that's the big question over Liverpool more generally. Like, are they just switched off? Are they not? Are they deciding not to run and sprint and close down? Yeah. Or are they just not able to anymore? That's it is such an interesting question. I'm. Uh, Glancing at the TV because 56 minutes on the clock, Chelsea, Milan, 2-0 Chelsea. Graham Potter in a uh, black suit jacket. Wow. And a black uh, polo neck number. 
Yeah, uh, fashionable. Did he wear that at Brighton? I, I can't think so. I mean, I'm I'm gonna say he's dressing up for the uh, for the occasion, but I didn't see Brighton often enough, so go. maybe. Maybe he did. It's um, Aubameyang with the goal. I haven't seen it yet. Initially, there's a cross from the left-hand side, which is too deep and goes all the way over to Reese James and he slings it in and it's a volley from Aubameyang. So 2-0 Chelsea is where we are. Fafana with the first goal for Chelsea this evening. Uh, word on Liverpool generally then last night. What can you take away from their win against Rangers? Yeah, they were a bit better. Um, Darwin Nunes is probably his best game. Not to damn him with faint praise, but it probably was. Um, he had, you know, I think he had six shots without scoring. He looked pretty good, like eighty-five he, uh, million. You'd hope so. You have to hope so. Yeah, I mean, no one is more aware of that price tag. I think at the moment than Darwin Nunes. His his confidence seems very, very fragile and frail. You did say as much afterwards that it, the settling in period has been difficult. And one thing which jumped out as being genuinely tricky, I suppose, for somebody in his position, was the language barrier. Mm. So in effect, he was saying that I have to calm my nerves during the games, I have to talk less. And then he said of his relationship with Klopp, we don't talk much. I don't know English. He doesn't know Spanish. So that's not a great start. And he said that translators sit with him when Klopp is speaking to the group. They sit next to me and explain what I have to do. If they didn't explain it to me, I'd enter the field with no idea what to do. Yeah. So, you know, that's <laughs> translators would want to step up their game sometimes, judging on some of the yeah. performances. But it, it must be hard to feel very central. To yeah, s- I think so. And especially with, you know, Klopp's communication skills seem to be one of the things that really sets him apart, you know. Yeah. And maybe, look, maybe the hugs, maybe maybe that's just enough to uh, yeah. um, uh, to, com- to communicate warmth and um, connection with him. Uh, but he's also like, you feel kind of sorry for him in the sense that he's just a completely different player than what they've got, had before. Like all of their strikers, their best asset or have been most comfortable coming short to feed for the ball. Firmino being the most obvious example. Jota can do it. Manny did it really well last season, mm. second half of last season. Whereas this guy, can't, his touch, I mean, his touch is completely schizophrenic. Like you have no idea. Is it? See, it's I, really, I haven't, I haven't seen it's quite poor, you know. So he looked good last, or yeah, last night, running in behind and running on to these passes by Salah. Um, but dropping off, he uh, that looks like the weakest part of his game, which is uh, which kind of means Liverpool need a kind of very profound change. Because the word, and it was quite widely reported, was that they were a touch taken aback in training as to the sharpness of touch and, and decision making under pressure and uh, at, at high speed. Yeah. So that's not great. Which is like a real indictment of Liverpool's recruitment that has been, you know, showered with praise for so many years. Like, how would they not have, how would they not be aware of this? Maybe if they bought into, bought too much into his performances against them for Benfica in the Champions League last year. So he looks, you know, sometimes, you know, a really physical striker, you can say his physicality is a handful and upsets defenders. His physicality kind of upsets himself at the moment. He, he really does. He doesn't look like he can. His limbs just kind of thrash around everywhere, like you know, a, a newborn foal or something. Yeah. Um. So look, he'll he'll definitely improve. But see, the problem is eighty five million, and when the counterpoint is Erling Haaland in Manchester City, it's almost an unfair comparison. Yeah. He's but got potential. Or new eighty five million. I know. Signing. And he also, I think, maybe it's unfair of me to say that he suffers for looking a little bit like Andy Carroll for the Liverpool fans scarred from that experience it is unfair um, which I think is, yeah okay that's unfair you sent me right on that <laughs> um, but yeah look I mean he'll, he'll get better I mean he would have scored last night if he didn't keep shooting straight at Alan McGregor that would be something to work on okay um, but uh, yeah a little bit better from Liverpool but Rangers no test at all right okay 
We will take a very short break. Gav Cooney staying with us. Our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Back in one sec. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend. Live on Sky. This is News Talk. The Red 78. Once we were back, we were back for a period That was when the uh, televisions were in black and white, Quinn. Yeah, that's but right, was, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big buttons and no remote. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live only on Sky Sports. We've just this seen great uh, is news talk. finish from Rhys James. Whipped a shot into the near post. So Chelsea are cruising all of a sudden at Stamford Bridge. They're 3-0 up against Milan. Uh, Salzburg won. Dinamo Zagreb nil. We have Real Madrid 2-1 up against Shakhtar. Vinicius scored and Rodrigo scored this evening. Manchester City now 4-0 up against Copenhagen. Copenhagen aren't great, uh, is the um, short version. They're Haaland twice, an own goal, and Mares with the penalty now, who Guardiola was saying needs to rediscover his best form. Dortmund 3-1 up away to Sevilla. We have Juventus 2, Maccabi hyphen nil. And after Messi did score for PSG, Benfica have pulled one back. It was an own goal, so it's one all. Benfica one, PSG one. Very happy to say, Gav Cooney of the Forty Two is still with us here in the studio. Uh, interesting news today: Spain and Portugal, who bidding for the World Cup in twenty thirty, have added Ukraine. Yeah. So an act of solidarity was announced at UEFA headquarters. Has the support of all three governments, and the point was made: this is no longer an Iberian bid. This is a European bid. Mm. We're all entitled to be cynical about the world of football. I do look at this and the thought of a World Cup game in Ukraine in seven years' time, when hopefully the country is back in its feet and repaired and uh, infrastructurally anyway. Uh, now, what a moment. Yeah. That, that would be kind of cool. It would be great, yeah. wouldn't it? The idea is, I think, that Ukraine would host one group then the rest would be in Spain and Portugal. Perfect. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is a really good way of doing it. You don't ask too it. much of them. Exactly, would yeah. You not build another four stadiums for us? Come on. It would be a powerful, it emotional would be brilliant. thing. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't would. it be? And I think everyone in the world would vote for it, apart from, possibly, <laughs> people <laughs> who have to vote for it. You know, there is a... What's the competition? Uh, so we've got a, like almost a pan-South American bid. Yeah. Um, obviously, Uruguay hosts the first World Cup. This is the centenary of... This will be the centenary of it. Okay, so obviously Uruguay, appeal. obviously Qatar can host this World Cup, but Uruguay isn't big enough to hold the 2030 World Cup. So they're joined up with Argentina, Argentina Paraguay, Paraguay, Chile. Chile. Uh, and then, but the word is that also going to enter the fray are Egypt, Greece and Saudi Arabia. I need to relook at a map, but that doesn't feel like, that's one bid, by the way, if you're yeah. listening. It's, it's, it's the collaboration uh, long tried, tested and enjoyed by all. Egypt, Greece and Saudi Arabia, three countries that roll <laughs> off the tongue. I know. They see, this is one of the problems with the expansion of the World Cup to 48 teams. Like, I loved the World Cup because it was so identifiable with one place. Yeah. Now, traditionally, FIFA brought it to the wrong place. Um, but at least it gave it a kind of a certain character uh, of its own. Um, but one of the consequences of the, you know, it began, I suppose, with Euro 2020 um, being staged everywhere but here, really. Um, but yeah, Saudi Arabia are going to enter it. So, like, the, there has been just a kind of growing assumption that Saudi Arabia, because they have the most money, will get what they want. Yeah. So, 
I mean, Spain and Portugal's inclusion of Ukraine in this bid means that we are potentially looking at a scenario where FIFA have to decide whether to pick Ukraine or Saudi Arabia to host the 2030 World Cup. Right. Are you a hundred percent sure they won't pick? Okay. Like I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a moral test which FIFA have yet to fail. Like they usually, they usually deliver on these things. Mm. Um, so we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, I don't think there's any official confirmation yet of that of the of the Saudi bid. But obviously, you know, Ireland and the UK. This was the World Cup that we were exploring, uh, potentially hosting, but we got out of it. Um, mainly because I think we realised we weren't going to win okay. and pivoted to the Euros in 2028. Um, I think we were probably right to get out of it. <laughs> I wouldn't fancy our chances among the current field. Like, obviously, that South American bid is a compelling reason of its own just it's to bring it back. Great to place to go to. They're great countries. Oh, I mean, like, as a journalist who may be travelling, I'd absolutely support it. Um, but uh, I would like... Spain, Portugal and Ukraine, I think, would be my pick now, I have to say. But. Yeah. So, Antonio, I'm not stupid, Conte. Uh, mm. Quite interesting, and I guess, like I'm conscious we are talking about somebody speaking in his second language, but nonetheless the comments are fairly strident. Uh, Emerson Royal suspended after his red card against Arsenal, and so uh, the question initially started more so about Jed Spence, their signing from Middlesbrough over the summer, but Matt Doherty included. So fans want to see more of those players. Again, it was more put to him about Spence, and in the absence of Emerson Royal, now we're going to see them, or certainly one of them. So what Conte said about the, are we going to see more of the new signing Spence? The fans have to be fans. I understand they can think everything, but I see every day what happens during a training session. I try to do the best for the team. If they trust me, then they trust me. But the choices are mine. If I didn't decide to pick one player, it's maybe because he's not ready. We are talking about a young player with a good prospect. But I repeat, I try to pick the best team. So it's pretty clear what we say about Spence there. He's, he's young, he's not quite ready. Also, Doherty, who suddenly looked over and said, oh, you're not talking about me? Doherty last season played every game. Now I am not seeing him in the right way to start the game. I'm not stupid. I don't want to lose. I tried to put the best team to pick the best team. Now, um, so seeing it like that seems very, very cruel and unfair. I, I mean, think even I, I'm looking at through my green tinted glasses, admittingly, admittedly, but it does seem a bit gratuitous on Conte's part. Like, Doherty was injured was flying in the Spurs team, was injured at the start of April against Villa. I think that injury carried into his pre-season, so that was curtailed a bit. Mm. But he did press when he was with the Irish team a couple of weeks ago and said, I'm fit now. Uh, he had been feeling fully fit in training for a couple of weeks prior to that. And the plan was that go away with Ireland, play two games, and then he'd be back in the mix for me at Tottenham. Uh, he played two games for Ireland. Um, but definitely, if that was the bargain, Conte hasn't held up his end of it. Well, he may have been entitled to say, I saw you're defending there against Armenia. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, uh, the cross against Scotland, like, he should have stopped that. You know, Sorry, so you Scotland, wouldn't. I meant. Yeah, so it was... Knocking up with Armenia. That was, that, that, was, that was poor from Doherty, but it still seems... I wonder, like, initially I read it as like, oh my God, he, he's, he's had a go at one of our own. How dare you, Antonio Conte? But I'm wondering, is it, is it a kind of a Mourinho-style attempt at provocation just because do you feel Matt Doherty's the type that would respond well to kick up the backside you think he would yeah yeah I, I would see again this goes back to body language and that slightly lethargic I mean we mentioned Alexander Arnold yeah, yeah. and Berbatov now that we mention it yeah that's a good one in you go Matt you're in that camp and yeah. there are times I look at him from Ar- for Ireland and kind of want a bit of a shake mm. and 
it's it's silly things. It's the socks low. It's sometimes just a bit of a trot when a bit more of a jog would do. And the defending against Scotland was... It was really poor. Lazy. You know? like, yeah. the, like, what's the... I throw a leg out here and hope he crosses it because then I won't have to... I don't have to be on my feet and putting loads of energy in this and, and you know, quick to move. So I think Conte... Look, as he said, I'm seeing what's going on in training. So do you think that that throwing a leg at that cross against Scotland is the only time Matt Doherty's done that in training or matches over the last well, couple of weeks? Well, it wasn't even the only time he did it against Scotland. He yeah. let one in in the first half from, from that flank. You know, he, yeah. he let in a cross way too easily, you know. And that was in the first half, you know. Like, he shouldn't have been tired at that point. Um, so, like, they're all, they're all very fair points, you know, you have to say. Yeah. It's that, that kicker line, I'm not stupid, I don't want to lose. Are you there saying that if I play Matt Doherty, I'm going to lose, you know, like, and maybe, in fairness, maybe he's not saying that, you know, it's a second language. He's obviously trying to get a point out there to Doherty. Did he kind of, you know, get it jumbled up a little bit? So maybe, I don't know, but then you have to take, you have to take someone on what they say, you know, yeah. I mean, manager, managers are often judged by many other things very unfairly, but you can judge them on what they say publicly and what they choose to say. So like, I would hope that it's a provocation like Jed Spence, he clearly doesn't fancy. Like, I mean, the, the yeah. day they signed Jed Spence, he described him as a club signing. Like, <laughs> good night. I mean, Jed Spence won't play, won't play for Conte anytime soon. There is at least a track record of him playing Doherty. Uh, well, I thought towards the end of last season, it had become apparent because Matt Doherty's better than Emerson. Oh yeah, I think so. So yeah. clearly. Yeah. And I thought towards the end of last season, Conte had quickly decided that as well. And it was like, wow, Battery's braced for a big and season. Spurs are crying out for a bit of creativity. That in fairness, Darty has provided for them in the past. Because they like they don't they don't get their creativity from midfield. Like Bentoncourt and Hoyberg are destroyers. So the creativity comes from the front three and the wing backs. And the problem now is Kulusevsky's really important for them is injured. Son is way out of form. Yeah. Richarlson, you know, is kind of maybe struggling to find his feet a little bit. And Perisic can only do so much. And Emerson Royale isn't good enough. So you'd imagine Doherty... It's, so, it's really frustrating from an Irish point of view because you'd imagine if Conte had deemed him fit, this would be the perfect... There's a perfect scenario in which him in which to drop him into the team but like Stephen Kenny must read those comments with a bit of concern because Ireland can't Doherty is a very important player for Ireland but I think we've seen enough now that if Doherty hasn't got any football by the time the qualifiers start next March can you can you pick him? I'm not I'm not sure that you can Not least if Seamus Coleman is playing away yeah. with Patterson out Yeah it is a strange one um, Doherty's pretty honest and open in interviews so I suspect we'll find out what's happening around this period in yeah, yeah. due course um, so when next next international camp is in November so maybe maybe Doherty will do press then so yeah. look as I say maybe it's a provocation uh, for Doherty knuckle, to knuckle down now Antonio Conte's vision of a player who is fit that bar is much higher than most other managers mm. and I also think like how do you get fit without playing any games? Very tough. Yeah. I, like it must be so tough. And Darty seems to be the kind of player who needs a run of games to get fit. I think he might have even said that yeah. in the past. So if I'm Darty, I'm scratching my head, being like, M- "Look, obviously there's things in the training ground that Conte believes that he can do more of." But yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of. I thought Conte would be a great manager for Spurs. Been quite disappointed by how they've been this season. Yeah, so did and I, I, I kind of, I really hate that comment the fans like the fans are the fans but I know what I'm talking about I'm he's stupid. always cultivated this kind of I'm too good for Tottenham yeah. vibe and you know Tottenham fans are often told that you should be really lucky that they sh- you should have Conte he's a great manager but like if he's always going to sound off like this and, and yeah. cultivate this perception that he's too good for the club yeah. do you really want that? Yeah it's an interesting one I, I would love as you said to know what's going on in training because 
I would think if for the next three games for which Emerson is suspended, he put in Matt Doherty and Doherty would naturally improve very quickly fitness wise, then you've got the player back that was doing it for you mm. just a few months ago and that you seem to really like. So why cast him aside because he's having maybe a, a sloppy period as he tries to get his fitness back just seems uh, a little silly. I did uh, listen to Spurs fans talking to Jim White and Simon Jordan this mm. morning after their nil-all draw last night and they are really down on Conte and it was like Jim I'd rather finish fifth and have a better time at matches than this dross really yeah right okay yeah. I thought maybe it was because the see where Arsenal are we were supposed to be there yeah and that was you know my preseason predictions for what they're worth which spoiler alert is nothing mm. had Spurs kind of as right up near the top from early on and then they might fade away a little bit but I suppose they're a very counter-attacking team. And Conte would make the point that, you know, the, po- the the game plan works if the player is going executed and Son, Son's form has fallen off a cliff. Like, I mean, that's a, that is obviously a huge concern for them uh, to the point where he dropped him against Leicester. And then maybe that was a bit of provocation that worked because he came on and got a hat-trick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, it's a strange drop-off. It's been, it's been quite disappointing. Like, I, I haven't seen Spurs very often. I uh, saw them against Wolves and weren't that good against a bad Wolves team. Yeah. So lucky to get that draw against Chelsea um, way back, which honestly feels like a year ago now at this point when, Last Thomas, season's draw, when yeah. Thomas Tuchel was still on the touchline. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, quite quite disappointing. Uh, the Bohemian situation I want to just ask you about. So the search to replace Keith Long is underway and Richard Dunn was very much linked with it and now he seems to have dropped out of the process and Alan Reynolds, the Derry City number two, has turned down the job. So why are various parties walking away do we know or do we think? Don't really know, to be honest. I mean, the the interviews have been done. Richard Dunn did an interview. He may even have done a second interview for the job, so he's definitely in the running for it. Um, but then there was that that story that broke last night in the Derry Press that Alan Reynolds had effectively been approached for the job and opted to stay at Derry because, uh, well, according to the Irish Independent, that he, he likes his current situation, like he's, he's an assistant there. He's also involved with the Irish under-21s. Um, now I'm not fully sure on the timeline of that, but like if they're doing interviews and then approaching someone else, that would suggest that they're not exactly blown away by the candidates who had applied. Yeah. Um, so it remains to be seen. I mean, I thought that there will be white smoke on this at the start of this week. Evidently, evidently, it's it's dragging on. Richard Dunn has dropped out. I know Vinnie Perth have been mentioned for the role, who obviously has a good uh, track record with, well, somewhat good track record with uh, Dundalk in the league previously. And there's a guy called, is it Sean O'Shea, who is kind of an interesting globe-trotting um, career, had worked at AIK in Sweden, and I'd heard um, something that Sean St. Ledger might be involved in that. Obviously, St. Ledger played for Ireland, has, has a good gig at the FAI now at the moment, so I'm not sure whether he could combine it or, or whether he would leave it. I suppose Reynolds shows that he can mm. combine it. So, yeah, I'm surprised. Obviously, they had op- they'd invited applications for it. Lots of interest in it, as you would imagine. Mm. Um, but You wonder what's happening after the initial interest to yeah, yeah, no, you the would. walkaways. Yeah, you would. Um, and Hipster's choice, Bohemians. <laughs> an enticing <laughs> see, prospect, no? I mean, I think like the Bowles job would be great. And it's like it's a really interesting job for Richard Dunn. Or, you know, we've seen Duffer go to the League of Ireland. be a really interesting job for Dunn. Or Robbie Keane, to be quite honest with you. Who's been linked with Hull today. Yeah. Um, so I think like it'd be an unbelievable job for anyone. Like, But obviously, you know, Bowes, because of... Bowes will always be somewhat held back by their... Hell back is maybe an unfair thing to say. But just in terms of financial weight at the, against the very top teams like Rovers and Derry, just because they've got no private investment that they're a member's own club. And there's lots of benefits to that. Absolutely are. Um, but I don't think that that would be a reason for 
that means that maybe they can't go out and get the, like the top tier manager that might come to the League of Ireland. But at the same time, I don't think people should be uh, should be not applying for that, not looking for that job. Florentino Perez caught your eye over the weekend. <laughs> oh my god, old man yells at cloud like this is still going on. Football is still sick. Yeah, you know? Florentino Perez is a diagnosis of things. Just he still wants a Super League, you know. I mean, so he's talking to Real Madrid members saying football is still profoundly sick. D- don't allow our incredible, in- incredible, enthralling and ultimately successful run to the Champions League cloud your judgment here. Yeah. Uh, basically, we're not making enough money out of this thing, is what he's saying, and we need the need the Super League. So that court case is gonna has been heard at the European Court of Justice. The three vestigial backers for this in Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus. Um, I don't know. I did a piece on it a few mo- a few weeks ago, and. I think they might have a decent chance of winning. You know, he was making the point that, and it did. I was like, can that be true? That Liverpool and Real Madrid had played each other once in sixty-seven years. Once, yeah. No, that can be right. I mean, they keep knocking out Klopp's Liverpool. So they met in two finals and uh, yeah. in the COVID season as well. Um, but look, he claimed that. So yeah. just go with it. May, could he have meant the group stages? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure he's bended the truth. Too. Yeah. Anyway, and he was like, Nadal and Federer have played 40 times in 15 years. Yeah. So he really did go for this Madrid-Liverpool thing. What Nadal-Federer matches do you remember? The Wimbledon final. Yeah, it's the Grand Slams. It's not, you know, Indian Wells, you know? Like, I mean, it's the the games with the most jeopardy are the ones that you remember, and they're the ones that enthrall. And these guys have got a completely arseways because they want the big teams to play more often, but they want to play in low stakes games. You know, when like the, like the complete misconception is like, I want to see Barcelona, Bayern Munich every week. Yes. Only if it's a knockout tie. Like I've seen Bar- Barcelona, Bayern Munich play in the group stages loads of times, you yeah. know, and they're in a group together again this time. Now I'll tune in this year because it looks like Barcelona are getting eliminated yeah. and they're in a group of death with Inter Milan. And that's a really interesting story because Barcelona have something to lose. Yeah. The idea that football fans are naturally interested in just watching these players play each other just for the sake of it. Weekend, weekend. Yeah. No, it it's, is, it's mean, scarcity and, think, and it's rarity. You think so, yeah. yeah. By the way, he said nine times. since he Nine said, times, okay. I, I misquoted him. Yeah. I was confusing it with Rangers and Liverpool who had only played each other. Had never met. Never. I didn't realise that. Was the yeah, first. first competitive meeting. That was yeah. the surprising one. Yeah. Okay, nine times in 67 years. <laughs> Fine. Uh, that is the interesting question, though, for the Super League. If Real Madrid and Liverpool was on twice a season guaranteed plus knockout stages or whatever shape this European Super League takes, would it dull it? Or would we become more enthralled with the whole thing? I mean, uh, I don't want to say Perez has a point, but, you know, when you watch Man City play Wolves. Yeah. Does that? No, I mean, it doesn't get doesn't exactly get the juices flowing, you know. Yeah. Um, Nathan Collins. Nathan Collins aside. aside yeah. Like, <laughs> maybe, but I think it only matters if there's jeopardy. Like, if there's jeopardy in these games, I would absolutely watch Like, some kind of relegation, for sure. Yeah, I think so. But the problem is that... That defeats the purpose. Yeah, like, they don't want relegation because that means that's jeopardy and they'll lose their money. Like, these guys just want more money and more control of the money. You Mm. know, like, I mean, and this is, you know, Florentino Perez is used to being the big dog in Europe and all of a sudden, hang on, the Qatari state are here now. UAE are here yeah. uh, Saudi Arabia are here yeah. you know and the English English sides are an effective Super League in, in their own way and they're making way more money than I am you know how can I how can I get in on that but um, obviously they've gone to the they've gone to the European Court of Justice they I don't know I mean it's an interesting case in the sense that they're not looking for a thumbs up from a court to say you know that terrible format that they had last year 
with 12 teams designed on designed by Microsoft Paint like I mean that format is out the window we just want the right to set up our own competition without um, uh, without sanctions from UEFA and FIFA and they're deciding competition law for that which mm. would give them a hefty chance yeah I think so like I mean the UEFA argument against it is, is using this uh, article that's buried in the Lisbon Treaty saying that sport has a specific nature like sport is special and is separate from other business which is I talked to a lawyer about it for a piece and it was just like that's soft law versus what's called hard law which is the competition law which is obviously easier to argue in court and it's a court that has gone that way on previous judgments apparently mm. by citing competition laws so honestly I, I it's uh, it's wargaming it and it's a bit of a forecast but like in 20 years I think football at European level could look like Formula 1 now where you've got UEFA like the FIA where they're the governing body so they run the rules they organise the referees, etc. And then, like, it's a separate company almost where the clubs are the shareholders. They, they'll they say they take the risk, you know. They don't. They take the money, to be quite honest with you. They technically take the risk, but this thing is a licence to print money. And there's just, maybe they'll have a, you know, promotion relegation just to satisfy whatever uh, whatever European court, whatever the European court rules. Um, but then they'll just have, you know, your, your franchises, slash franchises slash football clubs, in it every year competing mm. and, and globe trotting around the world honestly I wouldn't I wouldn't be at all surprised if in 30 years football looks like that mm. to the point that all the top clubs say farewell to the national leagues I don't know I mean maybe they continue to play it in, in some way but it's, deva- it's it would be so devalued I mean this is you know the national leagues the title races are usually over fairly early in most of these leagues like we pay our subscriptions to see who gets into the Champions League ironically enough yeah, like the race for fourth place in the Premier League this year looks so much more interesting than the title race that Erling Haaland has blown up in October you know so uh, that's the ironic that's the ironic part of it but look I mean maybe I'm too be- I'm a bit doomsday there and would I watch the F1 version of European football in 30 years Probably. I yeah. probably won't be doing anything better in my life. No, <laughs> you probably won't. <laughs> it's Thanks, true. Joe. That's a, really, yeah. that's, a, that's a real relief. I mean, uh, the most interesting thing in the league we were saying the other night is how many goals Haaland will score now. Yeah. And, and then, I guess, fourth spot. But, I mean, Saxon. fourth spot's not that interesting. No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I've lost all Graw for a good relegation battle. Do you think so? I have. Yeah. It's, it's a personal choice. People um, get into it's it. also, I mean, not to bleed on about it, the money, but like, just because, well, you know, Norwich will get relegated this year, but she'll be back next year. That's, that's you know? it. It's not like There's I'm not, saying farewell to Norwich. You know, it's not like when Leeds year. went down 20 years ago, it's just like, will you ever be back? That's the thing. The Leeds fans in tears, it's yeah. like, farewell, we might not see each other ever again. Yeah. Here's my last game at Ellen Road for a while. Whereas now it is, there's this what, good chance two of you are coming back up with the money. Yeah, the last the last great one was West Brom, Brian Robson, Kieran, Kieran Richardson. Were they Richardson bought? I think were they bottom at Christmas? Were they the first yeah, team to right, finish yeah. bottom at yeah, Christmas? Yeah. And then that was good. I've got Jeff Horsfield in my mind. Okay, did, didn't I mean why? <laughs> did, he, did he play in that team? Yeah, or I, I just, I just remember like, Kieran Richardson being carried off the. Pitch. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's the one. Was Zoltan, Zoltan Gear in that team? Maybe not. Um, but yeah, that was like that was the original great great yeah. escape, really. Th- and yeah. that great West Ham team. Sorry that reasonably good West Ham team being relegated was quite a shocking thing when it was Joe Cole and oh, Carrick yeah, and all yeah, these guys yeah, they had a, yeah. I, was th- I thought you were going to say the I thought you were going to say the Mascherano Tevez one 
which was they survived didn't yeah they? The, the they survived arrived. much to Neil Warnock's uh, annoyance at Sheffield United um, I think that was like loaded in controversy I think <laughs> there third party ownership <laughs> and all sorts of all kinds of dodgy things there that I'm not uh, confident enough to uh, to say for de- definite on air but uh, I do remember that yeah I do remember yeah. West Ham I remember they signed and it was like these guys are really good and I thought well how good can they be yeah they were good but I was also like how have they got these like wasn't Alan Pardew there was I think I knew I think we knew enough about Tevez and Mascherano to know that I think these guys are too good to be standing beside Alan Pardew <laughs> yeah so now who got relegated last year well Norwich because it was uh, it was their year to go down oh my god Norwich went down don't tell him Mick I'm, I'm struggling I'm asking Mick doesn't have a clue either um, I think we've potentially proven proven the point I, uh, You're a football journalist, right? I'm a football journalist, yeah. So who got relegated from the Premier League a few months Irish, ago? Irish football man. Uh, Norwich went down. Burnley went down. Yeah. Sean Dyche, of course. And Watford went down. Correct. Yes. Watford's just a gimme. That's yeah, Wat- Wat- Watford and Norwich are a solid one. And they yes, happily they, pair together. So they'll, they'll obviously, they'll come up next year. Uh, I guess Watford sacked their manager, did they? Uh, about four times, <laughs> I think. Um, but I guess that proves the point. It wasn't It wasn't a vivid, oh yeah, remember. Yeah. And I guess the Burnley thing was kind of noteworthy enough. The Burnley still. thing was noteworthy. Um, obviously, Nathan Collins got on the team. But it didn't grab you for all our talk of no. We need relegation. No. But you see, I'm a, I'm a jaded old man listener. You know, true, don't, true, true, true. Don't, uh, don't take me as the, as the weather vane here. Uh, we'll take a very short break and uh, final Premier, or sorry, <laughs> that was uh, Freudian in his own way. Final Champions League scores, not Premier League scores, Champions League scores in just one sec. Michael Obafemi started for Swansea this evening. Will Keane scored for Wigan. Meanwhile, in the Champions League, as we near full times, pretty much in 90 plus minutes in most games, Chelsea 3-0 winners at home to Milan. Salzburg won, Dinamo Zagreb 0. We have Real Madrid 2-1 winners against Shakhtar. That is a full time. Man City 5, Copenhagen 0. We have Borussia Dortmund beating Sevilla by four goals to one in Spain, which is a very good result. Uh, Juventus 3, Maccabi High for 1. Benfica 1, PSG 1 in the 92nd minute, still playing there. Don't worry, Gavin, says a texter. The World Club will be in just one place this year, one tiny, tiny place. A real trend this week was maps of various locations showing <laughs> if we like planted the Qatar World Cup down there. Like Mick, it, was in, it was in Wexford in one night. Yeah, saw. Mick was showing me the map outside. It seems to span a, ra- span a radius from like New Ross to Von Clody. Yeah, like. it's amazing. <laughs> it's for, it's something like 42 miles. Like, I mean, the population of Qatar is about 2.3 million and they're expecting 1.2 million people there for the World Cup. Yeah. It's just going to be The mad strange. thing are that the, like, the massive cruise ships that will just be parked mm. on the shore or by the shore and... Uh, I presume give accommodation to thousands I mean, yeah all these ingenious ways like of doing it but there are fans flying in staying in Saudi Arabia and Dubai and flying in every day are there yeah I think they're I mean are there kind of shuttle flights <laughs> is that the right Probably. phrase of them like? well I did see uh, Gary Neville was doing his tour documentary isn't it it's so ubiquitous in the world isn't he Gary Neville, Neville oh, yeah, yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah. and uh, he's prime minister indeed one of the guys taking him around was saying that it's uh, within four hour flight for I don't know how many billion of the world, but most of the world. Yeah. It's not, it's very central. So I guess there'll be a lot of in and out on the day jollies. Yeah, I'd imagine so, yeah. 
Um, five stars. But it's, I mean, it's, you wouldn't, it's not the best selling point for like a major tournament. Oh, like, you know, half the world can fly here in four hours. You know? No, <laughs> it's true. Not. It'll be a party. Uh, pundit of a generation, this was a tournament, Neville. Pundit of a generation who couldn't point out the deficiencies of Solskjaer and wouldn't address Beckham's role in guitar, says Brian. Very fair point. Not Solskjaer perfect. thing, he didn't, uh, no. Solskjaer thing, and I think he, toward the end, he was openly admitting that I can't call for this man to be sacked. You know? Yeah, he declared. Yeah, I, I sorry, I won't do it. Yeah. I won't do to it. To be fair, he's never called for anyone to be sacked. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. But he definitely, he definitely did go easy on him. Yeah. Now, look, he, he trained his sights on the Glazers, and United fans might say in the medium to long term that might not be that might not be a bad thing. No. But I think they did. I think most of the United guys let themselves down over the Solskjaer thing when it became clear that this is a shambles. Like, like they're human beings. Well, like the you point know? has been made. Like you know. Solskjaer was maybe the, the only person to stick up for Keane after the big Fergie bollocking just which, prior to which, his exit. When that was put to Keane recently, he claimed not to realise. I think he knew. I think he knows. Um, and like, Is I can understand how Keane wouldn't be wouldn't be comfortable sitting on TV. Oh, they have a loyalty to each other, that group, that goes way beyond whatever and like TV not, show. Sorry, I realise every conversation on Irish football becomes about Keane, but like Keane would pride loyalty above... I think Keane like talks about like you know oh, it's just an industry like I mean not friends with anyone I think loyalty is more important to Keane than it would be to most players and you know Ferg- he in his eyes Ferguson betrayed it so it's not true that he would pride that loyalty to to uh, to Solskjaer I mean but then at the same time like I mean you know people pay a lot of money for Sky Sports every month your loyalty and like Dunphy's line was like I'm loyal to the viewers mm. and maybe that was sometimes a fig leaf or, I think maybe it was but Nonetheless, it is true, um, and they did. They didn't. They didn't call it true. And like Gerard, uh, sorry, Carragher now will be the same about Gerard. I think Carragher has already written something in the Telegraph, being like, "Oh my, make Gerard or something." Like, I mean, why, uh, why he shouldn't be sacked or something by Aston Villa? And I think may, he may have he may have referred to the fact that this yeah, is, I think those those complicated human emotions once they're declared and everybody yeah. knows I think you can kind of live with them the Beckham rolling guitar point is, is fair I think Neville was on a BBC breakfast show this week and asked about it and he was he, he went for the whole oh, well, we've got to engage with all parts of the world and that's how progress happens kind of a line but like mm. the reality is I don't think David Beckham is sitting down and asking the folks at Qatar would you reconsider your LGBTQ stance yeah. I think he's saying how much do you want how much can I get and where do you want me to stand and smile yeah no it's so so grim it's so grim like I mean I guess everyone has its price. 150 million is the price that has been mentioned at yeah. Beckham. I find that hard to believe, but, you know, maybe not. It's so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is very dispiriting, you know. And, you yeah. know, like, like Xavi as well went to work in Qatar and, and drank the Kool-Aid, you know. Like, I mean, Messi. there is, you know, like, yeah, Messi as well. Can't like, be hard know? up for a few quid. Yeah, Messi. exactly. Like, but, like, there's a difference between, like, you know, viewers on the couch now will be asked, you know, do you not feel bad about watching this? Should you not boycott this? And I always think like, no, you know, the World Cup's in, like an important part of our lives. Don't yeah. feel the need to boycott it. But, you know, if don't think, actively promote yeah, it. Yeah, don't actively promote it. We're out of time. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks, Joe. Great. Gav Cooney of the 42. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BD Sport and Premier Sports. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports.